Wave to somebody you've never waved to before. There we go. There's bound to be somebody. All right. Hey, take a seat. Good to have you here. My name is Brad. I'm the lead pastor here at Bethany Ballard. And uh, it's good to see some of you. Some of you I haven't seen for a while. And it's great that you're back. Some of you have never seen before. So hopefully we'll get to meet you sometime. Um, let me get everything situated here. Because if it's not situated just right, it gets kind of messy. And then we're here for longer. So let's just go with this. I love the app update that now lets me unlock everything with my watch, so my mask doesn't... you guys notice that part yet? There's a new Apple phone update. If you have an Apple watch, which I don't recommend, uh, it, you, you can unlock your phone with your face again, with your mask on. So you don't have to... Oh, now everyone's going, oh, I'm going to go get a watch. Your deal. Hey, uh, pray with me. Father, we thank you for today, the sun that came out. Uh, we thank you uh, that we're here, that we're alive, that we're breathing. Uh, Father, as your spirit continues to work through us, as we continue in our worship of you, uh, may your spirit begin to uh, call out some things that we need to work on. And uh, may we walk away different than what we walked in as. In Jesus' name, amen. Are you ever shocked about the words that come out of your mouth? Yes. yes, I am. Uh, and I, no one told me about this as a parent, okay? That I would say words that I never thought I would say and phrases that I never thought I would say. For instance, uh, I've never thought I would say the sentence, no, you cannot take off your pants in the mall. <laughs> I never thought I would say this, no, you cannot touch the dead raccoon on the side of the road. Caleb has this thing where he says, I'll touch it. We're on a walk and you see something, I'll touch it. Or I want to drive it. And so, no, you cannot do that. And this was one that happened recently. I was at the Home Depot with them getting some plants because I guess this is the time of year you plant things. And uh, Judah ha ha wants to know if he can pee on the trees at the Home Depot. And I never thought I would say this. No, you cannot pee on the trees at Home Depot. They are not ours and that is not how we buy them. And I started thinking, uh, Judah's five, and so he's, he's just now realizing that he can go anywhere. It's the advantage of, you know, whatever. But he's, he's realizing this. But I've never thought I would say some of these words. And after I say these, I'm going, what did I just say? Our words, we never, sometimes we say things that we never thought we'd say. And sometimes we say more than we'd ever thought we would ever say. They say that you have about 7,000 words per day. Do we feel that's about right? Is that high for some of you? For some of you, it's a little, it's a little low. I've been in conversations, but no. Uh, but some of us, it's a little low. Some for it's a little high. If you've met my, one of my sons, you realize that 7,000 words is before breakfast. There is just question after question after question. And so he's saying these words that he can't pronounce. Some of them, when he says them, I can't repeat, uh, at least in this setting, because he's trying to say a word, but it comes out as a curse word. And it's like, you want to laugh? Hey, buddy, haven't seen you. What's up? Hey. Okay. Uh, but you want to laugh at him? You want to say, oh, my gosh, I can't believe he just said that. And, 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 and so these words that they're trying to shape and the words that we say and the words that we hear and the amount of words that we speak, it's no wonder that our words can get us into some troubles, right? 
because we say so many of them at, so, at, it, throughout the day. This is the next lesson that James wants to bring us. First, he has showed us that we can navigate the trials in our lives. We can, we can ask God for wisdom. We can get through them by having a different perspective. We can get through temptations. Then he talked about our actions, that we should actually do what the Bible says. And then he said, your actions will show your faith. And now he's kind of getting even more and more pointed down into some really specific practical things. Now he wants to talk about our words. Our words uh, show what we are about. Our words will show our actions. What we say oftentimes will reflect what we do or it should, according to James. And so James wants to give us three lessons regarding the words that we say. First lesson is this. We all have things to say. The second one is what we say matters. And the third lesson he gives us is how we say things matter. So let's start with the first ones. We all have something to say. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in James chapter 3. If you have the app or you have the Bible, uh, pull it out. Let's look at it. James chapter 3, verse 1. Here's what he says. Not many of you should presume to be teachers. And everyone goes, that is why Brad's up on there and I am not. Okay, let's continue. My brothers and sisters, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Yeah. This is something that keeps a lot of people from ever saying anything in front of people. That's why we have some of those who are afraid to talk in public because they don't want to be left on the hook. But let's play with this for a minute. Would you be shocked to know, some of you would not know just by conversation I had this morning, would you be shocked to know that I know absolutely nothing about software development? Is that shocking to many of you? No. Okay, my software development skills are completely inadequate. I don't know where to begin. On top of that, when it comes to any kind of engineering as possible, I am absolutely illiterate. My engineering know-how right now, and this doesn't bother you, my engineering know-how, my computer software, my computer engineering know-how has nothing to do with you. Why? Because I'm not an engineer. I'm not a, a software developer. So you're like, good. I'm glad you know nothing about this and you're not doing it. I don't care. But what if, what if we did this? What if I told you that I had just accepted a job at the University of Washington in charge of their engineering department? Would that concern you now? I know nothing about engineering and now I'm going to be lift, like the whole department will report to me. Does this make you a little bit worried? It should, because every single aspect of your life has to do with some kind of engineer. The roads we drive on, the air we breathe, the computers we have in our pockets, where you're reading that Bible from, all have some kind of engineering behind them. And if I know nothing about engineering, they are now all reporting to me, and I'm training the next wave of engineers that are going to design everything about you. Now, are you worried? Absolutely. Here's what James is, was getting at. It's at, we are absolutely responsible for what we say and do. We are all supposed to be teachers. Here's why. Jesus says it this way when it gets to the end of the gospel and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you get to this part where Jesus rises from the dead. It's spoiler alert if you haven't gotten there yet. He rises from the dead. And when, when he goes back to heaven some 40 days later, he's, he's appeared to 500 or so people. He gives a command. This command is in every single one of the Gospels. It's a command that applies to every single Jewish fo Jesus follower. 
not just the Jewish people that were there that day. Here's the command. It says in Matthew 28, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're like, on that. Verse 20, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and surely I am with you till the very end of the age. So when we look at that, we look at all Jesus followers, what are we supposed to be doing? Teaching. Congratulations. You're lumped into what James is saying in chapter 3 here. You, by being a Jesus follower, are a teacher. Your role is to teach others about the life of Jesus. And through your life, people come to know Jesus. Through your words and through your actions, people find the way to God. Those people are watching you. Therefore, you are a teacher. Therefore, welcome to being lumped into this section of the passage. This is all of us. We're in this together. And when people don't, who don't know Jesus look in the, at the lives of those people who say they do, not only look at the lives of the people who say they do, but listen to the words those people say. They can either say this, I want to know that Jesus, or this person doesn't practice what they preach. They talk a big game. Or people of, like Jesus, people who follow Jesus talk like this. They act like that. All of us are in on this. It's not, you can't get off the hook because you're not a pastor. You're not a teacher. You're not leading a small group. No, no, no. Everyone is in this. And when people hear us Christians talk and teach in a way by our lives that aren't showing the way Jesus is supposed to be portrayed, it's no wonder they get upset. We can't follow our own life lessons. How the heck are we going to have people follow Jesus when we do a terrible job at doing it. In fact, the word that he uses to describe teachers is the word didaskalos. It's a Greek word, didaskalos. It means this. It means teacher, but it means more than just teacher. In the New Testament, it has a variety of meanings, and one of the meanings that comes with it is this idea of a platform. Not many of you should have a platform of which to teach from. So he's getting a little punchy here, James is. Some of us shouldn't have this platform, but since you do have a platform, every single one of us has a platform, we need to pay attention to what James is getting at here. Every single one of us has a platform, whether you like it or not. Our personal lives, our social media lives, is there a nice way to say that? Our lives on the internet, our fake lives? Those lives are platforms. We have platforms that work. We have platforms with our neighbor. We have platforms here at church. A platform is anywhere where someone is looking at you and taking cues about what you do and how you live. So we can't hear this passage and say this, oh gosh, I wish so-and-so was here today. I wish they were here to listen to this. In fact, I'm going to get the link and send it to them because they need to hear this. Nope, you need to hear this. No more elbows in the side, no more of that, no more texting someone to say, tune in. You need to hear this. I need to hear this. What James is saying is applicable to everybody. Why? Because nothing that was written and nothing that was preached was ever, was ever written and preached for the person who's not there to read it or hear it. If you're hearing something, it's for you. 
if you're reading something, it's for you. This part of James is for us. This one is for me. Now, before we get too high and mighty and suggest that we're too good for this, James wants to double down that, hey, everybody, listen here, everybody. Verse 2, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Can any of you say, got it? No. Every single one of us is in on this. How many of you have ever misspoken? Let's get better. How many of you have misspoken today? Yes, absolutely. Everyone says the wrong things at the wrong times. Our minds and our emotions get ahead of our words. And sometimes we don't know what's coming out. And we're like, oh my goodness, I said that one time. I've done it once. One time. Carrie and I were sitting on a couch watching a TV show, and, and we were not married at this point, and so uh, we'd been dating maybe a year, and I told her I was going to tell this story, and she says, just make me look like the best one in it, and it, 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 this story, it, it can't help, but I'm the loser in this one. You'll see. So we're sitting there. We've been dating almost a year, and uh, we're watching the show. I'm into the show, and I don't even remember what the show was, but I remember being totally into it, not thinking anything else. She's by my side. And she looks at me and says, Brad, we've been dating for a while. And in my head, I'm going, oh, no. When are we going to get married? My brain just starts going, what did she just say? I'm ripped out of this reality because men are like waffles. I'm in this square. And she wants me to jump over to this square right now. And I'm faced with a decision. Do I delay Do I have to go to the bathroom? Do I do something? But if I do that, she's going to know I'm stalling, which means problem. Or do I just kind of stutter and stammer over my words until something comes to my brain of which I can say, and I decided not to do that either. And so here's what I said. It's not on my calendar. Uh, When are we going to get married? It's not on my calendar yet. And I thought I was fine. I thought, that's a, it's kind of funny, you know, I'm looking at my calendar. It's not there. And then she goes quiet. I'm like, oh, no. I'm still digging out of this one, by the way, 13 years later. Ugh, it's not there. And so my words, I messed up. I said something. I instantly knew that I was the dumbest boyfriend ever. And I'm still catching it. And she'll ask me if this is on your calendar yet with her tongue in her cheek. Like, you got it? Sometimes it doesn't have to be verbalized. A few months ago, I hit, I hit the dreaded reply number or the reply button on my email. And then it's fine if you hit the reply. But the moment you hit send after you hit reply, after you have said your strongly worded letter, Usually it's better if you just hit delete and that way you got it off your chest. But no, I hit send. It doesn't have to be verbalized. It doesn't have to be said. It can be typed out. It could be said. It can be, it can be sent in a message. Sometimes it's your body language. We mess up in this way all the time. And James says, yes, every single one of us stumbles. And if you don't think that you do, think back to the ways that you have misspoken. You've given a wrong answer. You have said and done the wrong thing that has ended up being regretful and hurtful. James is basically saying every single one of us 
messes up in this way. Not only have we done this in big ways or small ways, we do it without even knowing it. Which is this lesson, second lesson that James wants to bring us. What we say matters. James gives us three illustrations in the passage, if you read it, about horses and ships and fires. And every single one of those things is controlled by a little tiny thing. The horse is controlled by the bridle that goes in or the bit that goes into its mouth and turns the horse's tongue. We watched the Kentucky Derby yesterday, did you? It's a lot of lead up for a 20-second thing. I don't understand it. A lot of big hats, too. But these horses, these massive horses, are controlled by moving their tongue just the slightest bit. I watch my niece barrel race, and it's incredible what she does. She barrel races for a university in, in Colorado, and the videos come, and she's, my niece is this tall, and she's controlling this enormous horse just by turning its tongue with the bit and the bridle. James is saying this huge beast is controlled by its tongue. He goes in that this ship that's in the sea, we see them come in and out. They're controlled by this little tiny rudder. That's what steers them. That's what keeps them going in the same direction when the winds and the storms come their way. Then he says there's this fire. A fire is started by a spark. And all of these illustrations are proving James's point that the power And the unbound potential of our lives is wrapped up in the words that we say. The words that we say set our course. They can either light the world on fire or they can bring life to it. And if we don't have control over the things that we say, we're going to be in trouble. James 3.6 says this, the tongue is a fire, a world of evil among the body parts, among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself on fire by hell. Hell. That, and he doesn't mean some, this isn't like a translation to me. No, James wrote the word Gehenna, which is hell. We know this. We know that our words can bring pain. We know that our words can speak life or death. And it happens all around. When someone lies, when someone gossips, when someone slanders, it hurts. Some would say it burns. When someone talks evil about you, it burns. And then you might even say this phrase, that hurts like what? Hell. It burns us. This is what James is trying to convey to us. The problems that come from the misuses of our human tongue unleash everything that's evil on this earth. And it's a distinctly evil reality. James 3, 7, of all the kinds of birds and animals, reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. No human being can tame the tongue. It's restless, evil, and full of poison. Do you all remember the Snickers commercials that came by where they they would have this person who's totally going off about something being totally cranky and it's Danny DeVito or some kind of cranky actor and then they or it's a diva and they're you know doing something strange like divas do and then they say uh here's a Snicker bar and then they eat it and they say you're not yourself when you're hungry Because when you're hungry, you're cranky, you're hangry, you turn into John McEnroe and you're throwing things around. But if you have a Snicker bar, you're kind of balanced. Remember that commercial? You don't? Okay, well, maybe you should show it sometime. But there's this thing. Uh, Look it up. It's you're not yourself when you're hungry. 
And it's a frightening reality. I see it in my children all the time. Never, never me. I never get hangry. But what if your hungry, hangry, cranky self is actually your real self? What if the discipline that you have, what happens when that drops? What if that check you have in your spirit, what if you ignore it because you're exhausted, because you're worn out, because you need a snicker bar, because you're hungry? And so all of a sudden, the things that you truly feel come out completely unfiltered. Those unguarded moments, you're being the person you don't want to be. James says that we can't control ourselves no matter how much we try. And those moments are going to happen. And we're going to wish we didn't say those things. No one can control it. What if those moments are the reality of who we are? When we lose control, what if that's us? James says that it's restless. The what we say and ourselves are restless and it works into this evil plan. Don't miss this. We all have that ability. We all have that inside us. Satan wants us to get to that point. Satan wants us uh, to, to do things and say things. Why? Because Satan doesn't like us. And if he can discourage you in any way, and if he can get you to discourage somebody else by the words that you say, he will. This is why we need a hope that doesn't come from our own self, from our own discipline, from our own strength, from our own blood sugar count. This is something that we need to understand. We need help when it comes to the words we say. Our words have the ability to bring joy or pain, to build up or tear down. Our words can be deadly. James compares it to what? Poison. Poison doesn't work right away. It takes a while. It's a slow killer. If you put poison in food, it doesn't just affect one person. Poison will kill everyone who eats it. And I think it's the best way that James has to illustrate what happens when we lie, when we cast a false reality about something over somebody else and then invite others to live into that false reality and it slowly takes the life from them. Why? They're believing a lie. When we gossip when we know something about somebody else that's private and secret and we like to tell that story just to other people in the form of a prayer request for a friend, we're killing them slowly over time in the presence of another person. When we slander, when we tear someone apart because we don't care for them, we have, because we have a different agenda than they do, because they disagree with us, they think differently than us, how dare they vote? How dare they think? How dare they act? How dare they believe? How dare they support anything that we don't? And because we disagree, what do we do? Ugh, did you hear what an idiot this person was? Slander. We lay in wait for them to mess up so we can blast them in text messages or blast them on social media. What we're doing then is poisoning not just that person, but we're poisoning the people around them towards that person and not allowing them to have any response. We take away their ability to have any relationships. We take away their ability to be thought of well. We remove their peace from their lives. This is what James is confronting us about. With the tongue, in verse 9, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings. Who have been made in God's likeness? Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not 
be. James is laying his sights on just the Christians here. This isn't about everyone. Uh, this is about us. This is an in-house family conversation. We've, and, and we've done some of this already today, right? He's saying, hey, you worship. You put God on the altar. And we've done that today. We've sang. We've spoken truth about them. How can you worship God in this sense and rip somebody down in this, that sense? How can you worship a God and then destroy his likeness? How does that work? This is hypocrisy that James is getting at. We'll praise God but attack the people he's created. James isn't condemning us. He's pointing something out that hopefully he'll be convicting us that we're going the wrong way. And brothers and sisters, he says, this shouldn't be. This is what mom and dad used to say to us, right? You, you know better than this. This isn't you. He wants us to live from a new place, a, a place where our actions and our words line up, where they're the same. And this is why he says, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Honestly, I don't know. I've, I've never, never looked. Can they? I don't know. Good question. My brothers and sisters, he says, can a fig tree bear olives? What's the answer to that? No. Okay. Can a grapevine bear figs? No, James, neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Oh, there's the answer. James is leading you here. No, he can't. He can't do that. So he answers the question forms us. James is showing us that we can always know what kind of tree we're looking at. How? By the fruit that comes from it. Uh, on I-5, if you go from Southern California to Northern California, it is a very boring road, and there's a bunch of trees. And the question is always, what kind of tree is that? What kind of tree? I don't know what kind of tree that is. And so I'm asking the question to my buddy in one of the road trips, and he stops and goes, those look like apples. I bet you it's an apple tree. It's like, you jerk. My friends are sarcastic, and that's probably why we're friends. And then he gives the whole thing, how do you like them apples? And so, but how do you know what kind of tree it is? By the fruit that comes. Sometimes we try and present ourselves as something and then when you look at the fruit of our lives, it doesn't really match up. If you want to know what kind of person someone is, you oftentimes can't look at the things that they say. You have to look at the things that they do. People will tell us all the time who they are, but they'll show us who they are by the actions. The actions will speak louder than those words. So the question that confronts us, what James is coming at us in this passage, is what fruit are we producing with the words that we say? What are the seeds that we're scattering when we talk? How are we portraying who we really are with our words? That's the third lesson that James wants to bring us to. What we say matters. My buddy Ryan has this saying whenever we're talking on the phone. He lives in Tennessee. And just to like track along, he'll say clever little catchphrases. He goes, yeah, I'm gathering what you're scattering. I'm like, what? Oh, okay, so I'm scattering words, and you, you're getting it. Okay, took me a while for that one. But then I start thinking about it. He's saying that my words are taking root in his life. I'm gathering up what you're saying. My words are like seeds, and they're taking root in his mind. Our words are like seeds. With every word we sow, something hopefully will grow from it. When we speak what seeds are pouring out from your mouth? Are we sowing anger? 
Are you sowing bitterness? Are you sowing resentment? Are you sowing jealousy? Are you sowing envy? Are you, showing, are you sowing victimization? Are you sowing fear? Are you sowing attention-seeking behavior? Or is it a different fruit? The Bible says that the truest evidence of someone's uh, life or their commitment to Jesus comes from the Holy Spirit taking root inside their lives and then growing, and then we have something called the fruit of the Spirit. When the Spirit slowly starts to awaken your spirit, it affects your soul, and your soul affects your, your body, or your mind, and your reason, your will, and then your body follows after that. Then you have fruit. Paul calls it the fruit of the Spirit. He says it this way, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So when you wonder what kind of tree you are, listen to yourself. What words are you saying? What seeds are you scattering? What is the fruit of your words? Think downstream for a moment. The things you say today are going to produce what action tomorrow? Are you speaking life to the person next to you today so they can have renewed life tomorrow? Or are you casting poison at them? Well, they'll slowly die. This is what wisdom is. True wisdom has its roots in the pursuit of God. True wisdom comes from God. Proverbs tells us this. And so living and speaking with wisdom is thinking ahead about your words and actions and making sure they line up with what God wants. James 3.17 says this, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, all of us hate that word, full of mercy and good fruit. It's impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace will reach, reap a harvest of righteousness. So when you think about the words that you say, do they line up with this list? Are you afraid to ask? Are your words sowing peace or are they sowing the fires of hell? James says earlier that we can't control our tongues. We can't even control our bodies. But in saying this, James knows someone who can. His older half-brother. If, if you're new to church, uh, everything goes back to Jesus. And so James is saying, you can't control your body or your tongue. But there's someone who can. Jesus can control it. And us, by admitting that we can't control our words, we have the option to give that control to somebody else. We can give our control of our words to Jesus and then do what? Surrender. By surrendering to Jesus, you're saying, I'm, I'm, I can't do this on my own. And I'm going to follow and give Jesus the control of my life so that he can shape me and form me into the person who uses their words for good. I'm going to give him room in my life to work in and through me. J James has already given us verses and clues on how to do this. He says, if you want to have your words count, if you want to have your words bring life, the first thing you need to do is ask for wisdom, James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask. You should ask God because he gives it generously to all without finding fault. The reason you should ask God for wisdom, wisdom is born in him. You should ask him for it because he'll give it to you. 
You want to know the right words to say? You want to know how to approach a situation when you're going to be in conflict with somebody? You don't want it to grow bigger? First step, ask for wisdom. And you'll get it. James 2.9 says this, If you show favoritism, you sin. And you're convicted by the law of lawbreakers. What is gossip and slander besides favoritism to yourself? Because when you gossip and when you slander about somebody, who looks good? You. And in doing so, you're showing favoritism. So the first thing you want to do, if you want to surrender your tongue and get control of this, ask God for wisdom. The second one, stop showing favoritism. Stop lifting yourself up at the expense of somebody else. The last one is this, speak and act like those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. In other words, watch what you say because you're going to be judged on what you say. doesn't matter who you are. Watch what you say. Do you know that you don't have to choose to sin? You have a choice with the words that you say and the words that you speak. And because of the cross, we can live into that freedom and have the freedom of that choice. This is the beauty about how, of who God is and how he works into our lives. He's setting us free from the powers that control, and we have the option to give him control. So the question really comes down to this. Do you want to be free? Do you want to be free from casting poison with your words? 7,000 words a day on average. 7,000 seeds a day that you cast out. You have the freedom to choose what words you say and how to say them by giving the control of your words and your speech to the only person who can control words speech. Our words bring life. And I wonder what it would look like for us to speak life into the lives of those people who are around us. To be encouraging. It doesn't mean that you can't have a hard word from somebody. It doesn't mean that you don't get into an argument with people because we're people and we're going to argue about things. That happens. It doesn't mean that you can't have conflict. It's just when you're having conflict, don't be a jerk. Stop it. The resolution to conflict is not someone saying you're right or I'm wrong. The resolution to conflict should be peace with both sides, an understanding that comes. When you sow peace, James says in the very last verse, you reap righteousness. So may our words sow peace. And so today, it's the first Sunday of the month, and we're going to bring back communion because we can now. And uh, I'd like us to pause for a minute. Because of the cross, we have the ability to give God control of our lives. We can say, you drive. You take control of your words. You give me wisdom to speak. You show me the things that I'm saying. You convict me. You bring me to a better life. And so today, we're taking communion at the cross where that change happens. So before you go, I, I'd like us, as you're ready and as you're, if you're comfortable with it, to go grab your communion cup and everything you need is, lap, is wrapped up into that communable, I call it. There's bread on one side and then there's juice on the other side and they're all individually sealed. Everything is gluten-free. Uh, grab one. 
And before you take it, though, ask yourself these questions. Is my life sowing peace? Or is my life sowing the fires of hell? Dramatic, I know, but it's true. The words that you're saying, do they match up with the Jesus that you say you believe? Would you pray with me? And then the Dylan and the crew is going to come back up. And as you're ready, communion. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we have a choice on how to live. We thank you that we have a choice with the words that we say, with what we think, with what we do. You give us the option. We can't control us. But you can. And so God, may we submit to you today. With our actions, and not only our actions, with the words that we speak. May you point out the places where we have spoken poison over somebody. Maybe we think that we're being right and we're being poignant, we're being prophetic. But God, we're not. We're slandering, we're gossiping, we're showing ourselves to be better than who we really are, all to get ahead for self-promotion. Lord, may you, show you the, may, may you show us those places. God, if there's an apology that needs to happen, a text message that needs to be sent, a conversation that needs to take place, may you impress on our hearts today and give us the courage enough to respond and say, I said some things to those people and I need to make it right. And we, we make it right. Because we're all on the hook for this one, Jesus. May the meditations of our heart and the words of our mouth be acceptable to you, God. In Jesus' name we pray.